0: This has taken me seven months of my life to complete, and I am super
1: pleased how it turned out. What is Miguel talking about? It's my new book, Expat Secrets. You're going to be able to find it on Amazon right now. Let me just give you the full name of the book because I think it says a lot, okay? Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. Boom. I really like that. Basically, the book breaks down everything you need to know for leading an international life. This is timely information and modern, and it's a fun read. You can buy your copy right now by going to Amazon and searching Expat Secrets. This will really help support the show to grow. And if you want to be an awesome human being, what I want you to do is leave the book an honest review on Amazon. It actually makes a huge difference to new authors like me. Seriously, I mean this. Please get a copy of the book and please leave the book a review. It's just good karma. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, this is the Expat Money Show, and today's guest comes to us from Chiang Mai, Thailand. After spending 11 years as an American expat in Hong Kong and China, his company, Global From Asia, focuses on online businesses. And he works closely with the more traditional import and export company, especially those who are traveling between mainland China, EU, USA, and Southeast Asia. His clients are either using Amazon, B2B, or selling direct on their own websites, and each year they bring together some of the most influential expat entrepreneurs to help their clients grow their businesses on a global level at the Cross Border Summit, and 2019 Summit will be in Cartagena, Colombia. Please welcome to the show, Mike Michelini. Mike, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. I feel good. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Mike, why don't you take a couple of minutes and kind of talk us through your backstory? How did you arrive in China? How long have you been over there, and what have you been doing?
2: Sure. I mean, the story, especially in China, they liked was I worked on Wall Street in New York City. I'm you know right on right on Wall Street at Deutsche Bank, and but I always wanted to do my own business. I always wanted to kind of you know be an entrepreneur. And as soon as I was there, I started figuring out how to do online business started to play with mobile apps with my uh, colleague, but really got into eBay. And uh, of course, anybody doing e-commerce even back then led to China. So all roads led to China for manufacturing and try my best to do the Skype and Alibaba stuff while I was working on Wall Street, you know, nights and weekends or sneaking some during lunch. And, uh, you know, basically it was building up enough that I took jump and quit the, quit the Wall Street job and I want to say directly to China, went to, went to California, San Diego, on the beach, Ocean Beach, uh, did sourcing and e-commerce and led me to China full-time in '07, and kept extending my trip. And um, well, you know, as you said in the intro, I'm in Chiang Mai now, but still in Asia, 11 years later, there's, there's a, lot, a lot to cover. But yeah, it was for my e-commerce and sourcing and you know, manufacturing was what led me here.
1: I love it. So talk to us a little bit about Shenzhen and why you chose that place partic- in particular.
2: Sure. So before I moved, I, well, I didn't think I would move, honestly, but I did a month trip in uh, the trade show season. A lot of listeners probably doing business with China know about Canton Fair and these trade shows, but I went in October 2007 and spent a month, went to Hong Kong, Shenzhen, Shanghai, and Beijing. And I never even heard of Shenzhen when I was in school. You know, I think most of us just hear Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, really, maybe Guangzhou, but, you know, um, started seeing it because of Alibaba and all the factories with FOB Shenzhen and sourcing and so I came there and really put on my, my itinerary is because I was um, buying from factories there and I wanted to check it out. And it was this young city right on the border of Hong Kong, but it's still mainland China. And I don't get too technical, but I think some listeners might know there's, there's different types of dialects of, of uh, Chinese language. There's the two big ones are Cantonese and Mandarin, but uh, the main one, official one, is Mandarin. And Shenzhen is also Mandarin language because it's a new city and it's an entrepreneur city, and it was right next to Hong Kong. The weather's really almost too hot at times, but there's no snow. I don't really like the snow, and there's lots of factories there. Plus, on a little bit technical side, I was a business you know, business owner. I didn't have a, a work permit. I was on a business visa, so I was hopping in and out of Hong Kong, which is, counts as an exit entry every 30 days for like a year or two until I got my work permit and company set up, but... You know, I think it's a combination of the factories I was working with for some there. Of course, there are others in Ningbo and other parts of China, but also I, uh, I like the weather. It was a good price. It had uh, Mandarin. It was also right next to Hong Kong, so that was my main criteria. Shanghai is a great city. I mean, there's so many, so many, I mean, everywhere, so many cool places. But uh, that's my main criteria.
1: And so, how did you make out with the language? Were you able to learn quite a bit? Do you speak Mandarin now?
2: I can kind of get by uh the crazy story is i can read and even write better than i can speak i i mostly use apps and i study characters but when i first got there i i hired my first assistant i met at the trade show was melissa and i tried to get her to look teach me chinese we did like an hour after lunch but then we got so busy and i'm like oh let's just you know i i never took it so serious i should have maybe gone to a course but um you know i I can travel and I can have basic conversation, but I can't really claim to be able to have, like, a deep business conversation with somebody in, in Chinese. But um, the problem for me, I think a lot of others in my situation, is I never committed to living there that long or never thought I would be there that long. There was always times I thought I would go back to the States or I thought I'd go to a different country um, where there's some people that just sort of, like, hardcore China or hardcore, you know, wanting to live in a somewhere long-term and learn the language. I was there for business. So, you know, that was my excuse, I'll say. It's so not really diving. Deep. <laughs> well, no, I understand some, completely. Some people go there, yeah, they, they go in to do that. You could do the Shenzhen University or you go to university. You can do like 8 a.m. to noon every day. And I know some of my friends that did that. And I'm a, on the ground. I'm, I'm you know, I learned by doing and I should have done the proper classes. There's, there's also chances in Chiang Mai. I know people even going from China to Chiang Mai to learn Chinese. So. Well, I heard that they have a huge um, Chinese community there as well. It's massive. I mean, um, my wife is Chinese. One of my best outcomes of being in China 10 years. She's awesome. And she's been making amazing connections here. It's just a huge community. Literally, I... I, uh, I just left the meeting. There's just new Chinese people coming in every day, it seems. It's just a huge flood of Chinese people here.
1: Well, I think it's pretty funny because, and this is for my listeners, but Mike and I got jumped on a private call a couple weeks ago, and we were just chit-chatting and just uh, having a talk. And when we started to talk about our lives, there were so many things that were in common, because yeah. like, my wife's from China as well, and we're also shopping for a house in Chiang Mai right now. And Mike has just moved to Chiang Mai, and I was like, "Oh man, that's that's crazy." So if we end up getting a, a place, maybe we'll end up being next door neighbors.
2: Yeah, man, come on. There's there's so much inventory. I feel I just see these signs everywhere. I think there's websites, but maybe you or I or somebody listening should come in here and make a website. It's, it seems like there's opportunity to to make this uh, more efficient. But it seems like people put signs up for sale. It's crazy. That's crazy.
1: So, talk to me a little bit about why you decided to leave China and relocate everyone over to Chiang Mai.
2: Sure, it was a just a, you know a huge, popular question lately. I think it started with maybe the school. I think there's a few different things that were like the milestones. So we have our events in China, you know, for Global from Asia, and we've been we've been enjoying that and. Getting good success, and so we've been experimenting other parts of Asia for events and other places. And we, my wife and I, were sitting down after the, the cross-border summit in April, and we noticed a lot of people were just coming from around the world. They weren't really like you know we do online business, we do online content. We have you know a lot of different ways we connect with people, and we realized that our location didn't really matter. I mean, even if we kept doing events in in Shenzhen or in the city, we could just come back, which we're doing actually for a smaller events coming up. So, I was we had a 3-year lease on our, our apartment and it was coming up and we still had 6 months left, but I said, "Hey, Wendy, we should ask the landlord what's their plan." And their plan was to come up pretty significantly on the rent, and at the same time our daughter's coming up for for schooling and it's not that cheap in and, and, and also we weren't totally happy the kid Kid, our son in school wasn't really learning much English, even though there's some English. It was the internet. It's a Hong Kong school technically. Mm-hmm. but so I think it was a combination of the cost, the quality, and the, the realization that we could kind of almost be somewhat anywhere. So um, we decided not we didn't pick Chiang Mai right off the top of our head, but we decided to take a trip in July. Together, we sent the kids to Grandma or her parents, you know their Chinese grandparents. In uh, North China. Mm-hmm. So basically, we took a trip in July, almost a month until the early August, where we went to the Philippines. I also have some online team there. And we also went to Chiang Mai. And then we went to KL, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And we went to Kathmandu, Nepal. So those are the four places that we put on our hot list. I don't want to expose our preferences, but we both decided mutually to just seemed like the best place. Um, Malaysia's tempting because there's some immigration policies that seem pretty attractive mm-hmm. um, but we just felt most comfortable here the the schools really seem to stand out for us the cost and the, the quality and there's like Australian teachers and Americans and Canadians and I guess they all just want to take a take a year or two in Thailand and uh, there's probably podcasts about that specifically but um, actually it felt like any school we picked could have been could have been great so uh, we just felt really good and it was a little bit rushed, to be honest, because that was July, and we came here in August. So it was like, it was, uh, it was, we thought it was September would be when the school started. But, but that's the basic, basic story.
1: And then how about for friends when you were in China? Did you hang out with mostly expats there in Thailand? Do you hang out with mostly expats here? Or do you really incorporate yourself with the locals that are there?
2: Uh, in China, I try my best to lo- have local friends. But it's still, I have to say, the majority of my friends are probably expats. Depends what you consider, you know. I call what we call friends. I mean, I had acquaintances in my neighborhood. I live in a very local area of Shenzhen, and of course, Putian is a little bit could be expat. But I lived in a in a neighborhood that was barely any expats. But I would still go out on weekends to meet exp expats that had kids usually. And so far here, I've been mostly meeting meeting expats. But uh I should be more social. I, I just focus on events or I don't I, I, I've been kind of uh in my little home world in I'm not near the downtown of Chiang Mai. I'm I'm near Promenade Mall, which is not too far, but I think a twenty minute fifteen, twenty minute drive from the Maya Mall or the downtown area that all the tourists and uh, maybe the cool hip expats live. <laughs> but, uh, well, cause
1: I always think of Chiang Mai as quite a like a young expat entrepreneur community like a lot of the 20 year olds the digital nomads working from the laptop you know trying to build the next big app or the next big business and really shoestring type of thing
2: yeah that's that's what it's known for what I've been finding is there's a lot of others like um like us that are kind of hidden here and not not in the scene of there's so many meetups like every day there's a meetup like what you said and I've been to some of them and just just last week I was wet one just felt like I should socialize a little bit and you just, you go around the room, hi, I'm John, I came from Miami, I'm a real estate broker, I'm taking a break, I want to look for something to do, and, hi, I'm Jane, I'm from uh, Italy, I, I I took a break from my insurance company, I want to be a digital nomad, it's like all newbies mm-hmm. at these events, like fresh off the plane, like seriously. Um, but there's a lot of these uh, low. I don't know how to say it? like longer term expats that are just not as active in the meetups. That have families that have, that are more established. That uh, I've been also finding too. So, so really,
1: like an underground think, community, if you look a little bit harder. Yeah, I
2: think I think um, no disrespect to the, the newbies or there's some event organizers that are here for ten years or something too, and they're they're always trying to encourage the more established expats to come. But the, I think you know how it is. You get older, you you're you don't want to go to every like every Tuesday night meetup, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, and then.
1: You know, it's a little bit different mentality when you've got a wife and kids and you're building a business to support your family opposed to, you know, building the business to make sure you have enough drinking money.
2: Yeah, I could see it. It would have been a lot of fun. I had my fun in China too those 10 years, but I'm sure there's plenty of fun here too. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to dive
1: in now about the Cross-Border Summit. Tell me a little bit about this, how it began and kind of what it is for my listeners who don't really know yet.
2: Sure, sure. So, Cross Border Summit started in April 2016. The idea came in 2015, and my, the brains of the business, of my wife was, it was 2015, I think, you know, maybe uh, the fall. And she's like, you should really do an event to bring everybody together. You know, what was happening was people were visiting from overseas. And like I mentioned earlier in the show, I, you know, a lot of people come during that trade show season. So, it was this trend where more and more people would want to meet and want to get together around that same time, which is the spring and the fall of each year. And so we decided let's, let's do one in the spring season of 2016. So it was a, it started out as a one day event, April, I think the date was 16th, 2016 Saturday. And it was a full day. And, you know, I, I I think, you know, one of the benefits of doing podcasts is the networking and you meet some really amazing people. So we, we were able to get some great, great people to come and share their uh, experiences and knowledge. And uh, we had about 100, 120 people or so. And uh, yeah, it was, the events are extremely exciting, but also extremely stressful. But we had amazing feedback and we repeated it now the last, that we just finished our third in April 2018. And we've been doing it always in Shenzhen. And we are, you know, been growing quite a bit. And the reach and the different audiences. And like I said, we're, we've also been moving and we have some amazing partners and people that want to get involved. So um, maybe I'll save that for another question. But basically, it's been expanding and we're, we're going to other parts of, of the world even.
1: So talk to me a little bit about what you guys discuss at the at the events, what the structure is like now, and um, and how you guys kind of set these things up.
2: Sure. So Cross-border e-commerce or cross-border business is, is another form of international business or global business, but we kind of like this a little bit more of a specific word, meaning doing business between two different countries where a buyer and a seller are on different countries. Uh, of course, we're in China and Asia, and so it's, it is heavily about import and export from China and that's a lot of our content's about as well so we we try to do some importing into China but it seems like the most of our listeners or most of our audience is interested in exporting the huge trend as you probably talk about is Amazon FBA and people buying in China and selling in Amazon US or Europe or even different markets now like Australia is expanding and so we talk about you know how to source products how to sell on, on e-commerce and Amazon and we have some content about importing into China the customs Chinese e-commerce like Taobao, Tmall, Jingdong. So it's about I like to say go both ways or uh, import-export uh, from in and out of China or Asia. So even in the last one in April, we had people from Southeast Asia like talking about Lazada, which is a popular like Amazon of, of uh, Southeast Asia, and talking about new markets. We talked about South America in the last mark, uh, last event too, and so it's really about kind of doing business globally. Um, with a little bit of a trend of being in, positioned in asia or uh, or china or hong kong
1: and i noticed when i was doing my research that you guys have actually done some other events as well you guys were doing a accelerator leading up to canton fair
2: yeah we've put that together we have a uh, i work with a lot you know i was trying to find win-wins with other uh, other influencers and experts so we have rico From, and I think, yeah, you had him on the show from the Made in China podcast. Yeah, Rico's been on my show.
1: He did an awesome job. He's a great guy.
2: He's awesome. So we work together to take a small, select group of people to actually um, not just go to the trade shows, but actually work before the shows because we think it's important to have your research done before you even go and, and work with them to, you know, really make sure that you're, uh, have the product research correct and the sourcing, and know your product really well, and uh, and can actually make your own brand and product um, once you get into the show and and uh, for the long term. So that's the pre-accelerator. Yep.
1: So basically, someone would be wanting to get into FBA or Amazon for the first time, or maybe they've played around a little bit on their own. But when they're really ready to take things to the next level, they might join an accelerator like this, um, do the research before with your team, and then come to Canton Fair with you, and then visit the factories. And really, when they walk out at the end, they're going to have something tangible.
2: Exactly. So yeah, it would be probably not for a new a brand new Amazon seller, but somebody that's already maybe doing other, maybe no brands or other people's brands that wants to go into private label or, you know, making their own brand. That makes and sense. And some customers, maybe so, not a brand new design, but uh, slight modifications with, uh, with with your own brand.
1: But it's really uh, hand-holding through the whole process and really taking people yep. to that next level, eh?
2: Yep, yep. Because Rico is based there and, you know, he has an office and a team. So the idea was, we would be taking it to factories, taking it to markets even outside of the trade show. But there's like year-round markets there, so you're really gonna make sure that you connect with the right people and really know what it's gonna take. Um, and then with okay, all your homework and get all of your uh, prices and components and knowing your product, I think that's the biggest problem with a lot of people that are. It was my problem too. You know, when I first started was. I didn't really know my product. I just trusted the factory or just thought that it's their job to know the product and how to make it. But actually, it's your job as the buyer, you know, to know your product. I think a lot of people don't seem to realize that. And then it, of course, it's the factory shouldn't make bad quality, but it's your job to tell them what is good quality and what isn't good quality. Because some, some markets don't have as uh, strict guidelines or, or, you know, QC standards as other, other markets, too.
1: So what happens if people just decide that they want to go to Canton Fair on the road? Well, I guess we should probably start uh, with what can- Canton Fair is and uh, what someone would expect, and then maybe why you wouldn't want to just show up all by yourself, and what happens when uh, when people do.
2: Sure. So Canton Fair is I. Can't remember how many years or how many shows they've done, but I feel like it's over one hundred and fifty. I think you you count twice a year for like the last fifty years or so, maybe. But it's uh, it's based in Guangzhou, China, which is also in the south, kind of near Shenzhen, Hong Kong, which we've been talking about. It's uh, it's it's massive football fields. It's actually maybe it is a football field sometimes, but it's these huge, uh, convention halls. And you have to take a golf cart sometimes to get from one side to the other. You can wait in line or you can walk, but they, they take golf carts across. It's just so massive. And it's basically 10 by 10, I believe, um, meter booths and factories from all around the world or China, excuse me, sometimes other parts of the world, but it's mostly China come there and, uh, and show their products. It's kind of like a science fair or, you know, I guess any kind of trade show, but it's, it's, a, I believe it is the biggest one, I think globally for factories and, uh, there's multiple phases, so the idea of a phase is phase one, two, and three. One is usually electronics. Two is usually the home and gift. And three is kind of like um, fashion, usually, or baby baby products. It's usually the least popular. And it's almost a month long. It's like three weeks long, usually, and it's twice a year. It's in the spring and it's in the fall, so April and October. Um, and it's, it's growing. I mean, there's events around it. We know, like you mentioned, pre-accelerator, we have a program, There's just all this um, community around it. And then there's more than just the Canton Fair. There's ones in Hong Kong as well. And um, even Shenzhen has some now. So you can get your fill of factories and samples and prices and catalogs and uh, just overloaded with product ideas and prices. So
1: talk to me a little bit about why people might want to not just show up on their own and would want to come with an accelerator group.
2: Sure. I mean we we've done trips as well and we noticed with the Canton Fair we took some people there after obviously after the cross border summit, we've taken some people there. And you know, sometimes they just have no idea. They're just I just want to take a look. I wanna get some ideas. But if you just go there without having any idea what you're looking for, I mean like like I said, you need to take a golf cart from one side to the other you can just, you can spend a day looking at like dishware or you can spend a day looking at keyboards. It's just, every factory is there. So you can't just kind of like walk around and just find a product. You at least have to have a category idea. And the best is if you have a sample in your hand or at least sketch or mock-up with an idea of what you want, an idea of how many pieces that you want, and you can get prices right there. So if you have your homework ready and of course, you can use our program, the pre-accelerator, or, you know, even that. You can do a decent amount from overseas, you know, in your home country. Uh, you can you can find out what booth they're going to be at. You can find out, um, you know, what other booths will be near them. There's so much pre, you know, I think it's like anything in life. Like, uh, the more research you do in advance, the, usually the better the, the reward or the effect in the, the, the long term. Because you don't want to, you, you, especially if you're flying from the U.S. or overseas, you're spending time and money to go there. You don't want to just kind of, it's it's a month long, but each phase is about three or four days. So you don't want to really um, waste too many days because, you, you know, so, so many times we've seen people just go there, browse and, get some catalogs and then leave, you know, but that there's so much more you should be ready to do. You should be ready to do deals.
1: Well, and I would imagine with pretty much every major factory in China in attendance, it's going to be overwhelming with the amount of information that would be coming to you from all sides, that if you really don't know what you're doing or if it's your first time at something like this, you're really just going to get lost. Like you're just going to become overwhelmed with so much information, not know what to do and end up basically wasting the event.
2: Exactly. I mean, you don't want to go there as a tourist. You want to really um, make the most of it, and we want. That's why we put this program together, and and uh, you know, why uh, people should just not fly out here and just think they can walk around and find stuff. They sh- they can do a lot of work before they come.
1: So, do you guys think that you'll be doing a pre-accelerator before every Canton Fair now, or do you think this is just going to be um, one-off time?
2: We want to do it yearly. with we- Fair is twice a year, but we feel like you know that might be a little bit too much. We've also noticed other events and and others. We think once a year. Um, yeah, of course we're still testing it. We're we're gathering feedback, and we have been you know working with the select pre, you know previous group, and we want to not do it too often, and it's not as effective, and we want to have a good group of people. So Riga and I and, and the team have been deciding to do it once a year. October we're thinking is a good time.
1: Very nice. And I imagine it must be very, I don't know how to say this, interesting, unique to try to set up events in China and overseas as an expat. Can you talk to me a little bit about what that has been like as an experience?
2: Sure. I mean, somehow I've gotten used to not having full control. I used to maybe be a little bit more of a control freak or wanting to know everything that's happening I think whether I hope it's I think it's a good thing, but I think you have to kind of let go to be a, a manager or a business owner because you can't do everything. You have to trust other people and have a team. So um, I've always been lucky to have good people around me to help. And trying to get the right people in the right seats is kind of a, a motto I've I've learned from book management books. But I think the biggest is just keeping a little bit of a buffer and being prepared to uh, adapt. Especially to China, it's something I always tell people: is you're not if you're trying to change China, you're gonna lose because there's you know the thousands of years of history and the billion people, so you can't change China. You know you have to change for China. You know that you can't change how it is. So there's sometimes I have to really bite my tongue when things don't work out exactly as I thought, and I basically have to leave this kind of slack to uh, let things kind of sometimes fit, and maybe I don't have the exact perfect plan for um, you know even small things like seating arrangements or or uh, you know door check-ins or or um, you know food arrangements it's just sometimes you gotta kind of like let things roll a little bit but it's tricky because Westerners I think you know foreigners expats are just used to everything being black and white and clear and organized but in China and sometimes it's just so cha- chaotic that you kind of gotta get used to there being a little bit of a, a chaotic Element to who events. I hope I don't sound unorganized or something. But... <laughs>
1: no, because I know China, so I'm, I'm kind of picturing in my head at the same time. You know, you go into an expect, you go into, uh, you go into something expecting one thing, and it's just not at all what you had in mind or you envisioned. So I, I'm just kind of laughing on the inside here because I can. I would just yeah. think it'd just be a nightmare to have to set these up. To, if I'm honest,
2: it used to drive me nuts. I. I learned, I didn't do the events for quite, you know, I actually had help with start weekends and other events, but even before that I was managing staff and they say one thing and another thing happens and something, you got to kind of like um, just compensate for that and be patient for that and just know how to adapt.
1: So talk to me about any skills that you think are really advantageous for being able to set up events you know, 100, 200, 300 people, these type of things that you do for cross-border summit?
2: One thing is I try to write very clear directions. I mean, I think that's important in any business is SOPs, operating procedures. I know you, you've done a good job with this show. I mean, you had a really good system for me getting on here. So this, I think you understand. And like, you know, you, especially in events, you need volunteers or, of course, you can pay everybody, whether it's a volunteer or, you know, a, a college student or a staff, you know, um, they appreciate having this very clear direction of, I used to think I was like an idiot, you know, I think I was like, who is this, gonna, they're gonna laugh at this, but I'm like, audience control, your job, stand, there's three different positions, coordinate with the others in audience control, you are in the front, you are in the middle, you are in the back, your job is to make sure that people are not talking too loudly, and Not if they take their phone, tell them to go outside, you know, like, they have all these rules, you know, and you just, ta- and, and they would print it, you know, and I would, I do in Google Docs, but it's blocked in China. So, you know, download as, as a Microsoft Word, have a meeting, give them the documents. They would print it. Usually I'd email it to them. They would have it printed. They would love that. Um, you know, have different shifts for managers and making sure the managers knows what everybody's doing. And um, and uh, one thing that saves us a lot in China is, is WeChat. I think uh, anybody doing business with China or has a Chinese friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend knows WeChat. Um, so one of the benefits is what well, gets overloading but is groups. So you can quickly make a WeChat group. So you'll have like a WeChat group for the volunteers. You can make a WeChat group for morning volunteers or you know management. and then you basically have all these groups you are sharing information. you have an event group. So in the event group you have the attendees and you know the day before you make a group. So you know I email people to come, but then I usually really try to tell people please add our WeChat, get into our groups ask in the groups, read the groups, because you don't have to repeat the same thing like a million times. So groups have really saved our butts a lot with uh, organizing. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think some of those, those are some of the tips. Of course, the marketing is a huge challenge, but, you know, like we're talking about events, you know, six months, you know, even a year in advance. So just trying to get the word out, get people interested, know what it's about, know know where it is, um, and uh, and try to get, make a story get people in involved and in the and take their feedback you know people will recommend a the speaker they want or or they'll recommend a topic that they want you know try to really listen to the audience
1: so do you find that you have a lot of the same people that came from 2016 to 2017 to 2018 and now inshallah 2019 again do you find it's the same group of people who come over and over again or each year it's a completely new crowd new type of event
2: there is a core group um of you know of uh, fans or supporters which uh, which i love but i was sitting there unfortunately i mean it would be kind of great for me if if it was a majority but i think um maybe about 20 30 percent have been to every single one which i still think is pretty high I think that's um, they, very high.
1: Thirty percent have been to all your events. That's fantastic. Maybe, not
2: 30, maybe more like twenty. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're um, they 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 love it. I mean, somebody we have an event in October called the Cross Matchmaker. It's a it's a smaller style event for for uh, roundtables and people people are coming back. So so they um, but of course there's lots of new new blood or fresh 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 freshmen maybe or people that really want to make business connections and people love it because they come into China or Asia and they, they haven't really made many connections and in like a couple of days they, they they meet so many amazing people and you know I think just like your show the expat you know expat money showed and expats are are very social people, right? I think mm-hmm. they are outside of their home country, they want to meet people, they want to make business. Whereas, you know, when you're in your home country, there's you know, so many like closed people. But I think by being an expat or international business person you you have to be social. You have to engage. So they really make relationships. And um, there's been there's been a lot of business deals and business business partners and uh, even girlfriend boyfriends. I don't know if there's been a marriage yet, but there's some pretty <laughs> long term relationships that have come. You'll from definitely need to get a uh,
1: testimonial for that one when that happens. <laughs> yeah,
2: definitely. <laughs> well, I think it's true because
1: there's. Something to be said about being an expat, because in your home country, you have that social structure. You have your friends and your family, and you have people that you've known and grown up with, you know, in a lot of cases, your entire life. But when you move overseas, you know, you don't have those type of longstanding relationships. So people really work hard to build a relationship. And when they do make a friend, actually, those relationships, those friendships become very strong very quickly, I find, like... Some of the people that I've met overseas, they're like my blood now. Like they're they're like my brothers and my sisters. And I might have only known them for a year or two. But that's because I really don't have, you know, a lot of my family here or people who have known me my whole life. So though the intensity of the relationship, I think it's really accelerated when you're an expat.
2: That's I think one of the biggest perks about being an expat. I'm seeing it even Wendy's said She's seeing it in Thailand now being a Chinese because the Chinese people are not as social when they're in China, but she's saying they're just more helpful here. So it seems like it's any culture. you know, I think when you're outside of your home home element, home country, homeland, you, you realize, especially if you see somebody from your own background, but even in others, you're just more open. You have to be to survive.
1: Just going to take a quick break. Okay, new book is here. It's called Expat Secrets, How to Make Giant Piles of Money, Live Overseas, and Pay Zero Taxes. This book took me seven months to write and publish, and it's a culmination of some of the best stuff I've learned over my 20 years living as an expat. I cut out all the crap and tried to give you the real meat with this book. If you ever wanted to live overseas, or if you are already living overseas and you want to take things to the next level, to legally reduce your tax bill, to live a more international life, and get the best of everything planet Earth has to offer, then you must go to Amazon right now and purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Pause the episode and go take a look. It's cool. I'll wait. Seriously, you guys are going to love this. Enjoy the book. So talk to me a little bit about the cross-border matchmaker because I understand it's kind of in between the accelerator and the cross-border summit in the in the sense of scope and size that you guys do.
2: Yeah, I mean we've been you know I think with anything it's just testing the market and seeing what uh, what are people what people like, but we don't want to do the summit too many times a year and we don't want to kind of like drain the drain the community with you know too much um, overwhelm. So we came up with what we call the cross-border matchmaker, which is, is a one-day event where people get business speed dating and they get to connect with others uh, on a one-to-one in the morning. And then we have a couple of speakers, no PowerPoints before lunch, uh, you know, lunch networking together. And then the afternoon is my favorite part, which is what we've done at the cross-border summit. It actually came from the cross-border summit was the roundtables. So what we did is we had speakers, you know, of course, all day, but then at the end of the day, we would have abilities for the audience to sit with a a speaker. You know, we try to get eight to 12 people into a table and really engage with the speaker and not just the speaker, but other attendees at that table around that specific topic. So it's like Facebook marketing or it's Amazon listing optimization or it's logistics from China. You know, people will be able to engage with other people and... um, and people would love that. They didn't want to leave. Like after these events, it was the end of the event, and we couldn't get people to get out of the room. this one I had to pay over. I had to pay extra to the to the venues because they wouldn't leave. You know, the venues like we got to charge you for this. So, um, we decided to make an event out of it, and yeah. So we have multiple different experts. We call them, and we have topics, and we try to get people to book uh, tables and. It's the whole afternoon where we just spin people around different tables and different experts. And so,
1: do you put people topics. on like a time limit, like okay, uh, twenty minutes or thirty minutes, and then um, as soon as the horn blows or the whistle blows or something like that, everybody moves tables to something else that yeah. they want to learn about?
2: Yeah. So, what way we do it is there's two phases. So, phase one is 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 a group of how depends on how big the matchmaker event is. We're trying different sizes, but for now we have about 30 total, so 15 tables for two, two phases. And then the idea is people would choose uh, the tables they want and then in that hour and a half block of phase one, there would be two about 40-minute blocks you know, where it's time for shifting. So you get about 40 minutes each table to go around the table, learn what everybody's doing, ask questions to the experts or experts can engage with people's specific business situations and uh, and really dig d- dive in you know we also noticed sometimes some speakers were really experts in their industry but just didn't were shy to speak on stage or didn't have time to make a presentation but um, so that's why we're trying to tap into also also another thing we're trying to do is more local community because we we do a lot of between different cultures and languages which is with the cross border summits and cross border matchmakers so we're trying to have it where even we can have different language tables so it's the challenge is the language, honestly, because we have such amazing people. Um, we tr- we've tried simultaneous translation at the speaking events, um, but it's still not the same. And so, this is a way that people maybe could sp- focus on a certain language as well at the table. And we just, as long as we disclose what language will be the dominant language. Um, and we also are bringing in interpreters to sit next to people and, uh, and help them to introduce themselves. So, it's also really amazing connections can be made. Cross borders.
1: That sounds amazing. I remember when I went to Funnel Hacking Live earlier in the year, and it's a event in Orlando. There was something like three and a half thousand uh, entrepreneurs there, and we did a roundtable event, and I think we did four thirty minute um, sessions, and. I went straight to the table with Pang Jun and sat down like right across from him. And then they blew, like so we talked and started asking questions, got his opinion about some stuff. They blew the horn and no one from that table left, but more people came and then they blew the horn again after 30 minutes and then another crowd. And we were still sitting there and I just basically spent like an hour and a half, two hours just talking one-on-one with Pang Joon and getting opinions about different things. And I know it was probably a little bit greedy, but... Honestly, at the time, I didn't care. I was just, I was so excited to be able to hang out with him and then took a whole bunch of pictures and just chat, 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 because he was such an awesome guy. He's also um, based out of Asia, Asia um, speaks from stage and stuff like that. His stuff's amazing awesome. if anyone wants to check him out. I think one of the other really cool advantages with doing the roundtables is you really don't need to prepare the content or anything in advance. Really, the, the attendees provide the content in the form of questions.
2: Exactly exactly and we're trying to get the questions before the event even and uh, and have the speakers or experts ready to uh, to uh, ready for those questions and we're also really early stage I just I just got suckered into another appsumo deal for events I actually haven't even had a chance to learn it but it's supposedly a way people get engaged in the event with another screen on the wall and people can see the chats and the questions from the other participants so we're really trying to figure out how to use more you know, technology as well so that people can engage even more. You know, I think the the amazing thing is getting all these great people from, you know, within a specific topic or interest together in one under a roof and uh, try to maximize that as much as possible.
1: Well, that sounds awesome. And now... I noticed also when I was doing a bit of my research that you guys have taken these these different summits and you've actually brought them on the road with you. So I think you were in Vietnam. You did some events there. Can you talk to me about that?
2: Sure. I mean, we are global from Asia and actually it's kind of why I'm glad I called it global from Asia, not not global from China, because I guess I always had a plan to go outside of China with it. And, you know, we have we have uh, actually a lot of our, our uh, audiences in Southeast Asia, so... Well, we connected with some of our super, super uh, connectors and the community to that, that were interested to, to host meetups. I wouldn't say it's a cross-border summit, but we might do cross-border matchmakers in these different countries and leading up to a summit. But uh, yeah, we engage with the community. We have co-working spaces that were on board and we bring speakers to, uh, to connect and engage with the community. And uh, it, it's interesting. It's, I think that's, the beautiful and also challenging thing is the mar- markets are all so different. You really kind of got to, can't really standardize too, too much, especially I think, at least I feel in Asia. I think a lot of local Asia, especially Southeast Asia, are a little bit more introverted and shy, especially to foreigners or expats. I think, you know, we talk a little bit in this interview about if I have expat friends or local friends, I think a lot of times the local locals are just a little bit more shy to uh, engage with uh, foreigners. So yeah, I mean we we've we've had uh, been really trying our best to engage the local community as well as the expat community. Of course the language is one issue too and but not just the language but the, the style like in, in Vietnam. I remember I was talking to the local organizer of the events and she really wanted to, she really wanted to change it quite a bit and that's the challenge with it, because you want to have some kind of standardization So you know McDonald's, I think also had McDonald's and you know these franchises do adapt to the local markets like even Walmart and others but where's that's the challenge we've been facing so we're just trying to figure out how to uh, how to standardize it enough to keep the brand and uh, the, the feel but also localize it for the uh, for that community
1: so I guess it would really come down to um, writing the oh, what's the like almost like writing manuals you know, exactly like you were telling me earlier in the episode about how you would have a Google document about what person's roles are, really building out those um, procedures and uh, the manuals for how everything should be done and then being able to refer to them and uh, keeping them kind of as like an organic living document that you continue to update and update and update. And uh, I think those types of things will really help with bringing the standardization that you were just talking about.
2: It's totally true. I mean, you know, I've been reading about all this management for years and I also have experience, you know, helping with Startup Weekend in China. And they'd also just had these manuals, massive amounts of manuals. and It was all publicly online, at least when I was doing it. And, you know, people could just uh, learn how these events were organized so that everybody was on the same page.
1: I know it's not, uh, it's it's never fun for people to go through manuals, but really um, when you have those types of Processes laid out, it really is an asset that you're able to leverage over and over again.
2: Yeah, I mean, systems set us free is I think one of the things on my screen a lot of times in the handbooks. I think it's a pop up or something. Sounds (laughs) like a Michael Gerber quote. Yeah, I think of course I I read these. I'm been digging into another management book as well lately. Um, Management is the core, you know. I guess there's culture in a company, and then there's there's um, you know your team. But the manual is also just the, really the heart. And I used to not – when I was an employee in New York, I didn't really understand the value of it. But it's just amazing the way that you can just pass somebody that book and then they can uh, figure it out. Well, the,
0: the way I like
1: to think about it is as an entrepreneur, I create the systems and the systems run the business. I don't run the business I just create the systems, and then I just empower other people to follow those systems, and that's what I try to do. That's how we're able to grow this show quite quickly, and how I have a dozen employees that work for me now, is because I just spend so much time behind the scenes setting up everything, and then it's just really foolproof. And I just train people on how to do it, and then I let them go. You know?
2: Exactly. That's that's it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I think when somebody listening, they might not have done that might not understand that feeling, but it, it just feels so amazing. And my favorite part actually is when a new person starts and I just say, read the men, here, here's <laughs> the page, or here's the here's the process, here you go. And then they, they thank me for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's very clear, people want to understand what the roles and responsibilities are and, you know, how they're going to be rewarded, what are the things that uh, are kind of the no-nos, the misdemeanors, and, you know... People want to know their place in this world and what they're, what they're going to do, especially if they're younger and they're coming into this for the first time. It's a real opportunity for them to learn how to be an entrepreneur.
2: Exactly. It's just something that people should do sooner than later. I wish I'd done it as soon as I could, but uh, it's just the most valuable thing. Absolutely. So
1: talk to me about what events are coming up. I know you've got a really big one planned for 2019. Can you walk us through a little bit what that's going to look like?
2: Sure. Our big, our fourth annual cross-border summit is in, I think you mentioned earlier, Cartagena, Colombia, South America. So we're going on the opposite side of the world. And we have a really amazing partner there, Esteban. And he's. Um, we're making a Spanish version of the site and the podcast. He's been doing some shows already. And we are really trying to bridge Haina, South America, and, and the rest of the world. So it's going to be an amazing one. We're targeting 300 attendees. We're going to have two-day two, two day core events. We're going to have a little bit of a business trip for the people that want to take a little bit of an adventure if they're coming from overseas. It's going to be an amazing opportunity to meet people from, well, definitely people from the U.S. are going to venture over. It's not too far. People you know, from Asia are already planning I was on a call, so people plan planning to come over. Of course, people all over South South, South America. It's going to be a trilingual amazing international events about cross-border business i mean this time we're going to add in latin america we have multiple tracks so it's really going to be an amazing time to bring people from uh, all parts of the world and really learning about doing business in different markets different cultures primarily through e-commerce and online marketing but also just through cultures and relationships
1: i love it it sounds super exciting i think it's just a brilliant brilliant idea
2: yeah, we've been getting really positive feedback. I mean, there's some people that feel like it's dangerous there. You know, there's the, the that's actually why they want that's why it's fun. And a the team there really wants to do it there because there's this, you know, this is negative some some bad history. But it's I was down there in February checking it out, checking out the venues, checking out the the scenes. There's some islands we're gonna try to take some people out to after the event and. It's just, uh, there's so much, uh, and South America is this huge gateway of, uh, of opportunity, and and uh, there's just so much untapped potential that, just, I was talking to politicians there, I was talking to, you know, business, huge business owners looking to tap into international markets, so there's just really exciting things. And we we usually do this event in April, but because we don't want to overlap with our our friends in Canton Fair and the trade shows happening in Asia, we're doing it a little bit before. So March 6th, well, actually 7th and 8th will be the core event. There's a mastermind on the 6th, but yeah, it'll be a three-day, two-day main event. Um, and we're also going to have a business trip uh, afterwards. So people that really want to see some factories and logistics centers and free trade zones, we're going to arrange all that. We have MOU signed with the Invest in Cartagena division and also in invest Colombia, I believe, and uh, different government bodies are, are signing on board to, to support this and uh, and uh, and do what they can to make this an amazing event.
1: Well, I'll definitely vouch for Cartagena. When I was early early two thousands, I want to say I took a yacht over from Panama and landed in Cartagena. It took me like a week to wow. get there, and. Amazing. Basically, the history of Cartagena is that you had all the conquistadores that were all through South America. They took all the gold that they pilfered and mined, maybe, and they sent it all up to Cartagena. And then from Cartagena, they sent it back to Europe. So Cartagena has these huge walls and forts and castles. It's really like a living museum. Like, you just walk around the whole town and you feel like you're stepping back in time. It's just unbelievable there. So if anybody has an opportunity to attend and to check out Cartagena, maybe come a couple of days before and maybe a couple of days afterwards, it's just the most stunning, 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 beautiful place. And uh, and I know my listeners will just love it there.
2: Yeah, we'd love to see somebody there. And we'll definitely catch up and, and mention, mention this amazing show. And the other cool thing is the water you're right, you're dry, the roads on the edge of the of this peninsula and there's a wall, like you said, on one side and there's like a road and the ocean. And there's a bay on the other side, it's, it's a, and the water sometimes splashes right up onto the road, onto the cars. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> the whole place is just wild. And if people want to get involved before the event, I saw that on the website. You have some of the speakers listed, and people are actually able to submit questions and get a little bit more information from the experts that are going to be at the show.
2: Yep, yep. We've been building out. Uh, we really want to try to bridge the online and the offline so uh, we've already gotten people contacting the speakers. It goes to us first so that we can, you know, make sure we vet it and, and collect everything, but people can fill out a form on each each speaker has a profile page, dedicated page where we share their bio and a little bit more about them. And then there's a form that you can submit to us and uh, any questions or clarifications and feedback you have about this person, we, we, we collect and we get to them and it's been amazing already because they get to learn. A lot of times they don't know how to connect to these people online. And uh, it's, it's already been very powerful. And we've been trying our best to do O2O, online to offline, um, and uh, really try to add value before the event, during the event, after the event, to really build a community.
1: I love it. That sounds amazing. So if my listeners want to get involved, if they want to check out the website and get some tickets for the event, where can we send them?
2: Sure. We have a sh- short URL at crossbordersummit.com slash Columbia or just crossbordersummit.com and then there's the option go to Columbia. And there's the different options of ticket levels and and uh, all the information you could know about you know, the, the city, the venue, the, the agenda, the speakers. It's, uh, it's going to be an amazing one.
1: That sounds fantastic. Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Such an interesting conversation and a real pleasure to have you here.
2: It's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this and uh, I, uh, I enjoyed sharing. And thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. We'll talk soon. Okay, Mike? Cheers.
2: Definitely. Cheers.
1: Okay, I want to read you the reviews from the back of the book that some massively famous people in the international living space have wrote for me. See if you recognize some of these names, okay? So Gregor Gregerson says, In Expat Secrets, Mikel elegantly describes the many benefits that accrue to those that choose their country of residence and provides practical and timely tips and examples for doing so. This book is a game changer. Leif Simon says, Having lived and worked overseas for more than a quarter century myself, I've seen expats make every mistake under the sun. Save yourself time and energy and learn from someone who has actually done it. Expat Secrets is the book to get you started in your international journey. Edmund John says, Having incorporated hundreds of companies for my clients over the last seven years, this book is very helpful for those that are starting out. And Michael Cobb says, a huge thanks to Mikkel for clearly written, concise description of the international experience as lived by a true globetrotting pioneer. Especially refreshing is the chapter on the benefits of raising kids overseas. As the father of two third culture kids, I can personally assure you that no education expands the mind more than growing up overseas. And my good friend, David McKeegan, wrote the forward to this book. But I will let you read that yourself when you go to Amazon today and you purchase your copy of Expat Secrets. Thanks, guys.
0: This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, Capitalizing on the Globally Recognized Resort Brand,